Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> morning to you too. Hopefully that was a good gurgle and not a bad one. I'm I'm going with good. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the chance that we have to come together to worship you, our Father. It is only by your grace that we can come here together, Lord. It's only by your grace that you draw people of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different everything, and bring them together and call them a family. God, I pray that we would indeed worship you as we continue to worship you through the opening of your word. Lord, I want to preach so that you are glorified. I want to speak of you and praise you and praise your name. Lord, there's no gifting that can do this well without you being here. So, Lord, by your Spirit, help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and appropriate affection. Use this sermon, Lord, to bring glory to your name and joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. I want to say, I don't know if we say thank you enough, but our worship team puts a lot of work into planning uh, through the week. And if you're like Martin, uh, like a month. Um, It's true. It's true. You should look at our service planning stuff. He's already started like the next one, which is in like a month. Uh, So thank you very much to the worship team who puts a lot of work into um, preparing our hearts and focusing our hearts and our attention on who God is and what he's done for us. When Stephanie and I were first married, I was smart, because first married and smart go together well. They don't. Uh, when we were first married, I took the couple and brought her right down into the north-central Hamilton. And if you know anything about that area, it's like, yeah, whatever someone said over there. Um, it's, it's a little rougher. Like, like when we moved... Back when you used to get newspapers, I don't get one anymore. That's what Twitter's for. But, um, you know, you look at the police blotter, blotter, whatever it's called, and you see all the dots uh, of all the calls, the 911 calls, all around our house, you know. But it was a, it was a, it was a house. Uh, we thought it would be cheaper to own a house than to rent. It was when we because of where we lived. Um, but it had a nice big backyard, and we were excited when we first got married because we thought, oh, we could have a garden back there. So we started a little garden by the shed, and we, you know, prepared it. It looked great. You know, we planted some seeds. We bought some plants. It looked great. The thing that we forgot is that we both worked full-time jobs. You know what your garden needs? Work. <laughs> we weren't home ever. And what eventually happened was... Weeds began to grow, and everything that we thought was going to be great, and even started off very well, began to choke and to die, and eventually we just gave up. I know. I know. You know, what happened was these weeds just began to choke, and and the plants were no longer free to, to grow. They were no longer free to flourish and to bear fruit, and and all of these weeds came along and just began to kind of suck the life, literally, right out of these plants. And eventually it just turned into a giant weed garden. It was, it was fun. 
But Paul comes along in Galatians, and we're continuing on in our series in Galatians. We'll be in chapter 4, finishing up chapter 4 today. And he begins to address what it means to be adopted and that we are free to grow in Christ. As a Christian, God has enabled us and made it possible for us to grow in our relationship with him. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Galatians 4, and we'll be starting in verse 8 to the end of the chapter, and it says this. <coughs> Formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to this weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored in, over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You, do, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is also good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in this anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the, the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her child. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the, child, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So brothers... We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. A child 
of God knows freedom. And that's what Paul begins to talk about right here, right off the bat. In verses 8 to 11, he says this, a child of God knows freedom. He knows it. You see this in verses 8 to 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more? So to be a child, Paul comes and he talks to us. To be a child of God is to know the freedom of God's grace. Back to the garden. The plants were free to grow. They had freedom. The child of God is... To be a child of God is to know the freedom of God's grace. To put it simply, a Christian is someone who knows God. And I'm not talking like, no, yeah, I know God. Like, you know, like we all know lots of people. I mean, no. Personally. Intimately. See, verse 8, the... He comes along, he says this, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And Paul comes along here and he says, Jews and Gentiles, although their experiences were very different, Paul thinks of both of them as being enslaved. One was enslaved to, to, to justification by works rather than by faith. And the other group was, were slaved to, to all these deities and, and all the other things that came along with them. But the point is this, is that Paul's saying they were both slaves. They did not know God. They did not know his freedom. An even better way to say this is that a, Christ, that a Christian is a matter of who knows us. As Paul continues on. We can get to know God only because he already knows us personally and has revealed himself to us. So Paul makes this clarification in verse 9. Now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. Like, that's an amazing thing. Think about it. Dwell upon that. Not only do you know God, but first he, he, knew, he knew you. And who you are. To know God is to be a child of God. But this deepens even more when we think about this fundamental truth that we are known by God. So think about it. This, this is the freedom of God's grace that He knew us long before we ever came to know Him. The initiative for membership into God's family comes entirely from God himself. Imagine a tiny baby girl living in an orphanage. A man comes and visits and sees this baby lying in her crib. He loves her so much that he adopts her into his family. She grows up to call, him, call this man father, because he is the only father she has ever known. But she knows him as her father only because he first knew her as his daughter. This is the love that God has for all of his sons and daughters in Christ. This is the freedom that is given us by his grace. Anyone who receives such grace, though, 
such an undeserved favor, can never go back to the orphanage. Why would you? Yet this is exactly what the Galatians were doing. And this is what Paul is addressing in verse 9 at the end of it. But know that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to this weak and worthless elementary principles? Are you nuts? Are you crazy? Like, what is going on in your brain? And you know that Paul is thinking this, because he's already said things like that in this letter. The Galatians were converting back to practical paganism. It was like deja vu. They were going back to the first principles, back to this religious ABCs. Although they had graduated to faith in Jesus Christ, they were re-enrolling into spiritual kindergarten. They were going all the way back, going against what Paul has been teaching them this whole time. Because in verse 9 comes along, and it tells us this, that Christianity is a matter of who knows us. We can only get to know him because he already knows us personally. So being a child of God knows the freedom that we have. This is what Paul is painting for us all the way back later on in verses 21 to 31. He, he's talking about two people named Isaac and Ishmael. The key phrase is in verse 29. But just as at, the t- at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So Paul paints another picture trying to get us to understand this. You know, these people were coming into this Galatian church and telling them, you need to obey the law. You need to become circumcised. You need to do all the ceremonial things. You need to, you need to do all of these things in order to make sure that you're right before God. Yet Paul again comes and brings out the big guns and he says, whoa, let's go back then. Let's go all the way, all the way back. Let's go back to Abraham. So Paul wants us to see the main difference here between these two. Ishmael was born according to the flesh. That is in the natural way that children are born. Abraham and Hagar attempted to produce an heir through their own human ability. And what did that get them? Nothing. Squat. They're left alone. But Isaac was born supernaturally in a sense that this was something that could only happen if God intervened with a miracle. Think about it. A hundred-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman had a baby. I know. It's crazy. This is exactly why Sarah was laughing when Jesus came and told him that this was going to happen. Earlier in the narrative, earlier in the story. Sarah knew that in her ability, this was impossible. Just as much as it is impossible for us to be made right before a holy God on our own. You can't do it. It is impossible. And when we come to realize that, there is great freedom. There's no more of that rat race that continues on. Galatians 3 verse 2 says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
So Paul is telling us that our status is as sons, as children of faith in God's promises comes by the Spirit and not by natural human efforts. We believe when we have faith that what God has done is enough. We rest. There's no more work. God's done it all. Even as we grow, and we'll get into this later on, even as we grow in Christ-likeness, it is the Holy Spirit that is working in us, sanctifying us, making us more like Christ. There was a time when the Galatians didn't know God. They were into all sorts of stuff as Paul begins to break out for us. Astrology, deities, whatever it was, all sorts of things. They were going back to the orphanage. The Galatians were being choked by the weeds of justification through works. Just as much as there was a time when you didn't know God. Just as much as a time where God didn't know you. Christianity is a matter of who knows us. We can only get to know him because he has already known us. So let me ask you this. Are you known by God this very morning? Are you believing in the gospel? Are you believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins and three days later rose again? Are you resting in that? Because that's what they were forgetting, the freedom that comes through knowing Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Remind yourself of the freedom that you have through the joy of being in God's word. That's what Paul begins to go in verses 12 to 16. A child of God not only knows freedom, but the child of God enjoys the ministry of God's word. So to be a child of God is to love the instruction of God, as he says in 14 and 15. And though my condition was a trial to you. You did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God. See, in Greco-Roman society, this is Paul is addressing a cultural thing that actually happened. When people were deformed in any way or, or disabled in some way, they were actually scorned. They would actually be spat on. They'd be walking through the streets and people would be spitting on them. Yet that's not what the Galatians were doing. Paul had an ailment of some kind. People think that he might have had bad eyesight, hence the reference to his eyes, gouge, that the Galatians would gouge out their own eyes and give them to him. But that's not how the Galatians acted. The Galatians' warm welcome was not so much that they loved Paul as much as they loved God's word. But also notice this. Here's Paul. The guy literally walks all of like the whole cross of Europe. You know, we've talked about this before. We have a hard time walking for 10 minutes. And he gets stuck in this region in Galatia because of an ailment. And this is a side note. How many of us complain? about ailments 
what's Paul doing with his? He's using that opportunity to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because he knows that the gospel of Jesus Christ is better than whatever's happening to him physically. There he is, he's stuck. The greatest missionary the Christian world has ever known, right? The greatest one. He's reached more people than everything, than anyone. Well, maybe not Billy Graham, but you know. (laughs) And God comes and he uses this. If it wasn't for this ailment, God wouldn't have used him to reach the Galatians. God uses even his illness to bring glory to himself. Sometimes I wonder if I was as sickly, if I was sickly enough as Paul is, I'm assuming he's pretty sickly, if I'd be so in love with the gospel that I would still want to proclaim it or would I be too busy complaining about my ailment? Well, that's another sermon. See, what has Paul comes and he addresses this question in verse 15. He goes, what then has become of your blessedness? literally counted themselves happy. They had received the word of God with real joy. They had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were ecstatic. They were happy. And Paul comes, what happened to it? You no longer have it anymore. You know, Steph and I have been so greatly, and our kids, have been so greatly blessed to be part of the family here at Knollwood. You accepted us, our family, into your family. You know, but that's not always the case, as we see with Paul. Because what happens here, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? A child that God enjoys the ministry of God's word. Yet the Galatians had lost it. The example of the Galatian reminds us that pro- the primary qualifications for a Christian minister is that he must preach the word without waver. You know, there's a funny little job description of a pastor online. It always pops up every once in a while. It's kind of like the joke, so pastors only work on Sundays. Things like that. It says this, the, it's considered the description of the perfect pastor, which thankfully, uh, I'm very thankful, is not my job description here in Nolwood. But it says this, he condemns sin, but never upsets anyone. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight, and is also the janitor. Oh, man. He makes $60 a week, thank God, no, and gives $50. $50. A week to the poor. He is 28 years old. I'm already out of that. And has been preaching for 30 years. The perfect pastor smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He spends all of his time evangelizing the unchurched and is always in his office when needed. You know, we... I, I, was, I read that and I went, oh, man, that's funny. And then I was reflecting upon it. Folks, there are churches who do that. 
And that's exactly what the Galatians were doing to Paul. Ministers should not be judged by their abilities, their appearances, their personalities, their popularity, or any other standard or standard way of judging people. Ministers should be judged by do they preach the word of God. That is what I have to stand before the throne of God on. That's what the Apostle Paul has to stand before the throne of God on. Did you preach the word of God faithfully? So in verse 16, Paul says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They no longer were taking joy in the ministry of God's word. You know, the Scotsman John Brown said it this way, Happy is the Christian society when the minister loves his people and the people love their minister for the truth's sake. But unfortunately, Galatians were starting to turn against Paul. They may not have wronged Paul before, but they were certainly seen to be wronging him now. Their hospitality was turning into hostility, presumably because of the Judaizers that had come in there who were spreading lies about the apostle and and denying his gospel, which is Christ's gospel. Paul writes to the Galatians, therefore, as a wounded lover. You can read the agony in, the, in these verses, in these words. You can read them. We see that in verse 16. He wonders, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? His gospel has not changed. He is still proclaiming the good news about the cross and the empty tomb. He is still preaching justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yet the Galatians were starting to reject the one true gospel, unwilling to hear the truth anymore. They were treating Paul like an enemy. The very message that first created the bonds of their affection for him was starting to cause a rift between them. They had forgotten the joy of being instructed by God's word. To be a child of God is to love instruction of God. So I had to ask myself this question, and I hope you can ask yourself this. Have I lost awe of God? I, have a, I had a professor. Sometimes I still have him. And I don't remember much about his classes, unfortunately. And I'm not going to say who it was because I just said that statement. But also, if you heard that I said this, you'll never let it go. He said this to me. He said this to his class. He said, every time Every time you crack the book, you're face-to-face with God. Every time. Are you in awe of him? Do you love his word? Do you love his instruction? Because every time you open it, you're face-to-face with God. Do you love it? The Galatians didn't. And became aware and how they treated Paul. 
They no longer wanted to be instructed. You know, some days I, I get up, I try to do, my, I try to do alone time and, and devotions uh, every day. I do. But if I'm honest with you, sometimes I do it more of a sense of duty, and we talked about that before, right? Or sometimes there's like a show I want to watch rather than spending time in God. Yet I come along and I say, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to spend time in God's word. I no longer enjoy it anymore. Folks, if you have time to watch one episode of anything on Netflix, you have time to spend time with God. That's a sad excuse. And when we lose the awe and wonder of God's word and his instruction, we begin to turn out and act like the Galatians. We treat other people, God's people, his family, as enemies rather than friends. Somewhere, somehow, we lose our happiness for God's word. And I was thinking I could just leave it there and just walk away. But I was left with the question, what do I do about it? Because if you're like me some days, you just don't love to be in God's word. You don't. And nobody likes being rebuked. Someone comes along and <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this is great. I love this. No, it's not. Like, stop lying. It's not fun. But if you know God's intent is to make you more like Christ, you're thankful for him to do it through his word. So what do I do about it? When my heart is cold and stale, what do I do about it? I confess my state, my stale heart to God. I mourn my lack of affection for God's word. I don't be content with how it is. I pray for God to change my heart. I sing. I pray. I listen. I read the gospel. God uses his word through the power of the Holy Spirit to change you. And after that, remove anything that is leading you in that direction. Run away from it. If Netflix is a problem, if you keep binge-watching it, like for hours on end, because they don't, they have that like 15-second thing on there, and Sometimes it's, you're like, oh, oh, oops, 15 seconds. The next episode started. I may as well keep going. Get rid of it. Get rid of what any, whatever the obstacle is that is taking you away from enjoying the word of God. Let our Heavenly Father, by the Holy Spirit, weed out in your life those things that have been distracting you from the joy of the Word of God. As adopted children, we are free to grow in Christ as we enjoy the ministry of the Word of God. When verses 17 to 20, Paul comes and says, A child of God is is transformed into the life of God's Son. As we spend time in the Word of God, God's Word begins to transform our hearts, making us more like Christ. Something happens when people enjoy the ministry of God's Word. I have a friend of mine, I love him dearly. He's only been saved for like six years or something like that. 
I would, I would go into any trench with that man. I see in him how his love for the word of God and to know God's word has translated into his transformation into Christ-likeness. They start thinking the things that God thinks. They start loving the things that God loves. They do the things that God does, even suffer the things that Christ suffered. A child of God is transformed into the life of God's son. That's verse 18 says here. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. Paul says that it is a good thing to have zeal. We need to have zeal as long as it's for the right purpose. But here the false teachers were using the Galatians for their own purposes as Paul says in verse 19. But Paul is zealous for this in verse 19, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish over childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I'm, I'm not a woman, so if you haven't noticed, um, I have never experienced this. But I'm assuming that it's a pretty agonizing thing. Yeah, someone's shaking their head, yeah. And you see, we've all seen the videos and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. But Paul is in anguish as a woman who's giving birth that Christ may be formed in them. That is what he wants. That is what he's zealous for. So we pray that God would give us passion to be conformed to the image of Christ. This word here is to cause something to have a certain form or nature. Paul wants Christ to be a mold to shape the lives of the Galatians. Paul wants him to be like Christ. As an adopted child, we are free to grow in Christ as we are transformed into his image. The Christian has the freedom to be transformed into the life of Christ. Christ shaping us and molding us and, and changing us and forming us into his image. And we can see Paul's agony for this church here, that Christ would be formed in them. This is a huge challenge for leadership in a church. For us as, as leaders, for pastors, for deacons, I ask myself this all the time. I have a question right in the margin of my Bible. Do I feel this? Do I love the flock so much that I can say along with Paul that I feel like I'm in anguish as a woman giving birth to a child that Christ would be formed in you? That's my hope for us as a church. That's my hope for myself, for you. That you... That Christ is formed in you and transforms you. God gives us the passion to be conformed to the image of Christ as we spend time in his word. There are only two ways. There are only two, there are only two ways to get to know God. 
Let's do prayer and the reading of his word together. If you're not reading the word of God, you're not knowing, coming to know who he is. As Christ is formed in us, which only happens by his word, this affects our proclamation. So we pray that God would give us a passion to see others transformed for the glory of Christ. This should be our heart, the same as Paul's. Until Christ is formed in you, we, my heart, again, as a pastor, should also be this heart. We should pray for each other and teach each other and mold, that the mold of Christ's likeness would come out in our life because we want others to be transformed as well. We're not followers of Christ merely for our own sake. We're there to call other people to Christ to pray, to plead, to confront if necessary, to pray and exhort each other. Paul says that he will not be satisfied until this happens, until Christ is formed in you. So as an adopted child, we are free to grow in Christ as we are transformed into his image. One man who really never forgot that God had redeemed him or bought him from slavery was a man named John Newton. Newton knew a lot about slavery. If you know him and his story, he was a slave trader before he became a Christian. He knew from that point on that he was no longer a slave to sin. He was a son of God. To remind himself he, he would always be a former slave. Newton had Deuteronomy 15.15 15, fixed on the wall of his study. You shall remember, it says, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you, command you this day. Like John Newton, anyone who has become God's own dear child needs to remember never to go back into bondage. To never go back to the orphanage. As adopted children, we are free to grow in Christ. This is shown as people who, who know freedom, who enjoy the word of God, and who are having lives being transformed into the image of God. As an adopted child, we are free to grow in Christ. This is what we get when we become adopted children. These are the characteristics that come out in the life of someone who's been adopted as a child of God. My concern is not the person who's growing in Christ and who still struggles with some sin. My concern is the person who claims to be a Christian who is not being continually growing who doesn't love God's word and isn't living in the freedom that they have in Christ. That is my concern. And I pray that we as a church, as individuals, as a family, would be marked as people who are being transformed into the image of God, who love the word of God, who live in freedom of the word of, that God gives us as adopted sons 
and daughters. Let us continue to worship him today.